This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, February 25th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The Trump presidency, along with the Republican Senate, brought with it a dramatic increase in judicial appointments. But last year, Donald Trump lost the White House and Republicans lost the Senate. So what is the state of the conservative legal movement after the Trump presidency? Billy Easley is a senior policy advisor at Americans for Prosperity. We discussed his new essay at libertarianism.org, The Myth of Trump's judicial success. What was the upside of the Trump administration uh, with respect to judges? The numbers. I mean, the sheer numbers of of how many people who are principled conservative uh, activists who we managed to get through the Senate. Um, Over 200 nominees were confirmed. Uh, We had 54 appellate nominees confirmed, and we had three Supreme Court justices who are going to change the entire way that the judicial philosophy on the court will be for for a generation. And so when you say we, you mean the conservative legal movement, not to be confused with people who call themselves conservatives. Yeah, I actually think that's a a sort of fascinating sort of uh, point to to note here. Um, And I think it's actually broader than what people consider it to be, right? Uh, I think when people say conservative legal movement, they tend to only think about federal society, right? The, the people in D.C. Uh, coming up with the names and lists of people who should be appointed, right? And that's not that's not the only bubble that exists, right? There are people across this country uh, who are in the Republican Party and who are not, who really do care about the values of the conservative legal movement. So uh, the numbers are is the upside. What? was the downside i mean the 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 conventional wisdom as i understand it is that uh because of these these massive numbers because you had this perfect storm of donald trump in the white house and mitch mcconnell uh leading a republican led senate they were able to just move judges through uh and you know the washington post had this uh sort of parody story about Mitch McConnell approving his 8,999th judge in, in the, the America is otherwise just this vast wasteland. And he's uh, single-mindedly focused on uh, approving uh, one more federal judge. Um, what, you know, what's the downside then? I mean, it seems like a good talking point. Uh, two downsides. One, the erosion of the rule of law. I mean, one of the things that I pointed out to in the, the article that I wrote recently was that uh, Attorney, Attorney General Bill Barr uh, spoke to the Federal Society in 2019 about the three main principles that he saw animating the legal, the conservative legal movement. Um, the rule of law, um, turning back the tide against the administrative state, and protecting civil liberties. Um, and I believe that the Trump administration failed on all three of these counts, um, especially with regards to the rule of law. And I think that that sort of failure wasn't just a you know an implicit failure or a failure of of, of absence or omission. Uh, it truly targeted the rule of law and tried to undermine it in order to to prop up a specific individual, Donald J. Trump. And I I don't think that benefited either the country or the movement. Okay, so. Uh... It's it's if the conservative legal movement won this massive victory uh, in having all these federal judges appointed, 
uh, before we started recording, you mentioned that appellate judges are matter uh, the the number of appellate judges we should uh, give particular attention to because uh, these people are deciding some very difficult things. Yes, and I'm glad you noted that. Uh, so there's been 54 appellate nominations who passed out of the Senate during the Trump administration. That's huge. Um, and there are some rock stars on there. Uh, you have Stefanos Bibas, who's on the Third Circuit. Uh, he wrote a fantastic book on uh, the immorality, really, of the criminal justice system. Um, and the sort of opinions that we're seeing from him sort of reflect a really fascinating view of civil liberties and how uh, it connects to the criminal justice system, but also the limits. Like he, he truly recognizes that he can only do so much in the judicial sphere, right? That's the sort of balance that we really want to see in our judges. Um, and I think that's great. Uh, I think that's going to change the contours and discussions about uh, that of the issues in the on that prop up on the on the appellate level a great deal. Um, still not worth it. Still not worth the trade to me. Okay, and the trade that is the trade was Donald Trump in the White House and his general demeanor and manner of engaging with uncomfortable facts. Uh, it's more than that, uh, because his general demeanor uh, doesn't go far enough on this point. It, it was his actual rhetoric uh, in the positions that he in the positions that he was willing to to prop up in order to benefit himself. So the the two points that I would really sort of point to is first of all how he readily and consistently tried to separate judges out into like Obama judges or Trump judges, right? Like to a degree where. Uh, even the Chief Justice Roberts had to come out and say, hey, that's really not appropriate. It's really important for the public to view, you know, us as uh, they like to call themselves judicial brethren, right? We're all, when we all don the robes, we sort of shave off our political affiliations. Um, and I think that's a very important thing to sort of highlight. And the other thing uh, beyond the insurrection is the phone call he did to Georgia Secretary of State, um, which in my view was probably just as much of a grounds for impeachment as the insurrection was. And arguably illegal under both federal and Georgia state law. I mean, the Georgia has, I believe the Georgia AG has said that he's going to investigate this. So yes. Donald Trump was in office for four years. The federal judiciary was uh, remade in a, in a pretty significant way. Uh, and now he's not in office. Uh, you th you think then, therefore, that there are some substantial lingering effects of uh, Donald Trump's time in office that means bad things with respect for respect to respect for the rule of law. We lost the moral high ground. So yes, I do think it has lingering. You say effects. we, the conservative legal the conservative movement, lost, legal movement lost the moral high ground. Well, what does that mean? Uh, it means that it becomes much harder for us to go to people who either are against conservatives, right, or have a progressive viewpoint, or people who are on the sidelines, right, um, who really don't have a really focused view on what the legal movement should be or what principles should, you know, dictate who should be a judge or not, right? Um, I think it's going to be much harder for me as someone who cares about these topics to go to someone who's uninterested in this and say, hey, you know what, conservatives, the Republican Party, we really care about um, you know, defending civil liberties. We really, we're not outcome determinative at all, right? We're, we're focused on picking people who, uh, you know, 
have views about judicial humility and don't see themselves beholden to any one individual. I can't do that if someone was president for four years and said specifically, no, I want the people I, I appointed to overturn the election, right? That, it, there's there's a huge uh, unalignment there. Um, and I don't think conservatives have fully reckoned with how that's going to impact our ability to persuade other people in the coming years. And how broadly Republicans were and continue to be in many ways supportive of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. And so I'm going to I think a good example of this is what uh, Ohio AG David Yost brought up when uh, Senator Cruz and Senator Hawley uh, voted to uh, not certify the election. Um, he said that he opposed this, uh, and he actually filed a lawsuit uh, in response to Texas's push to to not certify the election. Right, and his point was, "Hey, if we're willing to, you know, throw away our principles in order to support one person, um, then we're now we don't have the high ground anymore. Right? People aren't going to be willing to listen to us." Um, and I think you're really seeing this sort of discussion and argument about this in the federal society right now. And I and I really hope. That what happens at the end of that discussion is that people recognize that the Trump years, even though they appeared to be a victory when you look at the numbers, were a moral loss for the movement. Let me ask you something that may be uncomfortable, and if you don't like it, you don't like it. There have been attorneys who have been marched lockstep with uh, this president. Uh, Rudy Giuliani is one of them, who America's mayor, a, a former presidential candidate on the Republican ticket. Uh, John Eastman, who actually spoke at that rally with President Trump. Um, I'm going to say to a lesser extent, Cleta Mitchell, who was on that call with Donald Trump when he spoke to the Secretary of State in Georgia. Um to what extent are the attorneys who have been, one, well-regarded within the uh, Federalist Society, Rudy Giuliani perhaps accepted, um, but also sort of hitched their wagons to this particular president? How does a group like the Federalist Society uh, think about uh, that fact? I mean, I, I know you're not king of the Federalist Society, but it. Uh, how do you view it? Well, no one is king of the Federalist Society, right? It's supposed to be a big tent. Um, and I think it's really important to note here because I've, I've read a lot of articles and heard plenty from other people about, well, why don't they, why doesn't the Federalist Society expel John Eastman, right? Or expel um, other members who supported Trump? And like, that's just not how the the society functions. What I do think is important and what I think is healthy uh, is what we're seeing right now, which is there are plenty of people who are in the federal society who, you know, uh, have much more importance in the movement than me, to be quite frank, who are questioning whether or not it was appropriate for Eastman and others to support uh, President Trump, even before the even taking uh, taking the certification question out of it. Right. I think that's healthy for the movement. More broadly, though, you talked about the president trying to bifurcate judges into into categories of uh, Obama judges versus Trump judges versus, you know, in some cases, Jimmy Carter judges. Um, but that seems like a much broader problem than Donald Trump. I mean, the politicization of the judiciary is is a broad problem that existed before Donald Trump. 
became president. Yes, you're correct about that. Um, I don't think that really sort of, uh, you know, makes it okay, right? I think what, what President Trump really wound up doing in that situation is what he did with a lot of other problems uh, in this country. He exposed them and then he made them worse, right? And what I think the conservative movement hopefully does in the future is is say, and, and specifically what I hope the conservative legal movement does, is the next time there's a Republican leader, uh, someone who's vying to become you know, our, our nominee and our president, uh, and who wants to observe and, and live conservative values and represent conservative values to the public, that we hold them to account and expect them to say, no, it's not, it's, it is not a good for our society to politicize judges. It is not a good for our society for me to create a norm where I, and as an extension of myself, the public expect that the judges I appoint will support me instead of supporting the rule of law. Billy Easley is a senior policy advisor at Americans for Prosperity. His new essay, The Myth of Trump's Judicial Success, is up at libertarianism.org. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.